Welcome to the Dispatch Book Club. I'm your host, Sarah Isger, and this month we are talking about I Contain Multitudes, The Microbes Within Us, and A Grander View of Life by Ed Yong. And joining me to talk about it is Alec Dent, the Dispatch Culture Editor. He also edits our fact checks as well. And Alec, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Sarah. This feels like the perfect book to talk to our culture editor about. But before we jump in, what what are your go-to reading genres? Uh, I typically go for fiction. Uh, some of my favorite authors are Evelyn Waugh, P.G. Woodhouse, Tom Wolfe. Ooh, interesting. I was, um, for some reason, kind of expecting maybe a dystopian fiction thing, but Evelyn Waugh <laughs> is like kind of the opposite and lovely. He He actually did a dystopian novel, though. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, so is this your first introduction to microbes? It was, yeah. And it was a very interesting one at that. I, I, like I said, typically go for fiction, but this was a fascinating read. Really easy to pick up. Super easy to pick up. Um, Ed Young is one of my sort of go-to science writers. So whenever he has a book out, uh, you know, sort of like Carl Zimmer, like I'm in. Uh, speaking of Carl Zimmer, by the way, something that got me into this entire genre of uh, things you can't see (laughs) was Carl Zimmer's Parasite Rex, one of my very favorite books. And that led me to read The Red Queen, um, which was about sort of the the race that we have with viruses and um, bacteria or even parasites. And then we have this book, I Contain Multitudes. So big picture takeaways. It's fascinating. Um, I, I, so I, I grew up in a house where my dad was at least somewhat aware of this stuff. Like he really encouraged us to like get, get dirty, build your immune systems. His line was always go lick doorknobs or something. So I had some background in this, but I had no, uh, no awareness of just how microbes affected everything, literally everything. <laughs> it, it was incredible to learn. I think the the funniest line to me that summed up the, the, the thesis of the book best was that toilets that are cleaned regularly are dirtier than ones that aren't. They have more fecal bacteria. And that is just fascinating to think about. Yeah, and it sort of got to one of the big themes of the book, which is microbes are neither good nor bad. Mm-hmm. And that, in fact, there is simply like a space to be filled. And so every time that you are cleaning or not cleaning or having a sterile space or whatever that may be, you are making a decision of how that space will be filled. So if it's your toilet and you keep cleaning it, you're still making a decision. There's still all of that space it's getting filled by different microbes or microbes that aren't eating your fecal matter, for instance. Uh, and I really appreciated that the book also was very, I thought, clear on the limitations of all of the microbiome uh, hype. You know, this idea that like, oh, if you take a probiotic, we're going right. to cure autism. And if you lose an arm, it'll grow back. Just get the right bacteria. <laughs> that like, no, no. Humans can, unlike some creatures, can live entirely without our uh, bacteria in that sense, at least. Like, that's why we can take antibiotics and stuff like that. 
Um, and so we are talking a lot on the margins, but that those margins are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, so much of the ways that scientists have discovered microbes interact with us just goes to reinforce ideas of healthy behavior that we've already had. Like when um, in the book, Yang talks about the relationship between obesity and microbes. And it's not a matter of just simply changing the gut microbes and boom, you're going to be thin. It's a matter of changing your diet. Yep. That uh, you, you've got to feed your microbes. Mi- microbes but yeah, exactly. <laughs> introducing new micro- microbes might be able to help, but if you don't start eating healthy also, nothing's going to change. Yeah. And this, um, so fascinating when they talked about premature babies in regard to that, Mm -hmm. that like they did figure out relatively early on that the, you know, you're leaving, it's actually not totally sure yet. And he does talk about this in the book, but it is assumed still at this point that you're in a sterile environment when you are growing there in the uterus and that you come out with no bacteria at all. Um, and that for some of these premature babies, that's a huge problem when it comes to digesting food. And they knew that, and they knew you needed to introduce bacteria, but it doesn't do any good if you introduce that bacteria and then it starves as soon as it gets to the little baby's gut, because there's not the right right stuff for it to eat there. And so, yeah, the same thing with, um, so many of these problems that they're trying to solve, you can take probiotics all you want. You are sending lots of bacteria into your gut, but if it, if it's a certain type of bacteria that only eats a certain type of thing and you're not eating that thing, that bacteria will simply die. Mm-hmm. This, the same thing Young mentions with malnour- malnourished children in third world countries. Unless there is a consistent dietary change, it's not really going to affect much change. And that just really does point to how we have thought about microbes wrong or how we haven't had the full picture of so many topics for the last hundred years. Uh, I I mean, it it was crazy in talking about medical science, basically since microbes were discovered, we have done almost everything wrong with them. (laughs) The way we have designed hospitals, the, 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 the medical advances with childcare, like it's just all been bad. (laughs) And it's, you know, the whole first part of the book is trying to get you out of that good versus bad mindset. And so, you know, he's walking you through all the good things that microbes do. And then he walks you through all the bad things that microbes do. And he's like, and just to be clear, it's not that some microbes are good and some microbes are bad. These are the same microbes. Mm -hmm. It's all context. It's all what you're feeding them. It's all the balance with other microbes and where they are. I mean, and so it, um, I think it's hard for the human brain on a few levels. On the one hand, it's hard for the human brain to really think about something that we can't see that is surrounding us on the outside and on the inside and in these different colonies and different factions and yours are different than mine. Although it turns out if we live together, they'll start getting more similar. Uh, And even if I like come stay in your house for a couple of days, like that room will start to look more like my microbiome um, than the room currently does now. All of that was very neat, but And then to get us out of the good versus bad framework, I realized in the course of reading this book how hard it is to not live in that framework. Well, is it good or is it bad? Oh, it's neither? Well, then what, how how am I supposed to fathom that? This thing I can't see, which is both good and bad and neither good and bad, but which can in a fascinating way affect evolution 
and the benefits or drawbacks that my kids will have and all of this. And I'm just supposed to let this swirl around me. It boggles the mind. <laughs> it did. You know, you, you mentioned the hospital thing um, and he's talking about this at the end, which once you read it, you're like, well, that makes perfect sense. Cause it matches with sort of a, a very common sense thing that hospitals are more dangerous with the windows closed because the bacterial biome that builds up in hospitals will be more dangerous, more out of whack. It'll be mostly from sick people. Whereas if you open the windows, that, you know, as, as I sort of said at the beginning, there's a space, it's going to get filled by bacteria. And so then you're thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to fill that bacterial space? If you open the windows, the bacterial space gets filled with sort of harmless outdoor happy bacteria. It's all in balance with each other. And they've been living out there for a long time. But if you close off that space, you end up with a hospital filled with sort of out of balance, sick bacteria that's been coming from these people might be antibiotic resistant, and it's just growing like weeds. Um, and it makes perfect sense. You know, when you're sick in your house, you always are like, ah, just open the window. I just need air in here. And that instinct, it turns out mm -hmm. is a good one. Yeah. It, I mean, in, in Yong's telling of things, the only bad way to think about microbes is kill them all. Oversterilization yeah. is bad. And I thought this was a really fun read. It was a, a good distraction from the world where everything just seems to suck right now. Just like a fun reminder of how, how beautiful and complex and just incredible creation is. And then he mentions that oversterilization is creating strains of bacteria that are resistant to probiotics. And that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. There, it, the whole book, it just jerks you around many times over mm -hmm. from like fascinating. Oh, that's a cute bee wolf to ah, we're all yeah. going to die. Fecal bacteria. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fecal transplant stuff. And he tries to kind of sell you on how like all the other animals do this. We're kind of the one animal that doesn't do it. <laughs> you should eat your neighbor's poo. And I was like, um, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. The science might be there, but I'm not. Uh <laughs> I did. I thought of you. I was so glad that you were able to come talk about this book because your claim to fame upon joining the dispatch podcast now a year and a few months ago is that you ate cicadas during the big brood 17 um, march out of the ground. I'd, now, now I know I introduced microbes previously unknown to my biome, to my body while doing so. Yeah. I mean, did you think about that? Cause cicadas come up several times in the book. And were you like, I now have a cicada bacterial colony? I, I did. Yeah. Cause that was not something I, I, I was aware of at the time of doing it. And it is interesting to think about that these animals live underground for seven years. They have their own unique communities. They have their own unique bacteria. And it's not really something that humans interact with much. And I consumed one. <laughs> I was also More thinking about it because More than one. yeah, that, that's true. Thanks for reminding of everyone of that. <laughs> <laughs> now, just for those who didn't watch it, we can put the YouTube video in the show notes, but you had a cicada charcuterie board and you had cicada Alfredo. Mm -hmm. Which was not bad. The, the Alfredo part that is the cicadas still not really sold on, but I was also reminded of the cicada incident because last year there was a fungi that was passing through cicadas that was destroying them. Uh, it was eating their abdomens. It was 
in enhancing their sexual attention towards one another and then causing them to die after it spread. And it just lines up with everything Yang was talking about, how these microbes can change in order to um, increase their likelihood of passing on to other creatures. And the ways that they can change animals are fascinating. They, they can make an animal want to have sex more frequently like they do with cicadas. They can change an animal's sex entirely. They can make a male go from a female in some species, which is just mind-boggling to think about. I did feel like I, I was happy to read this book on microbes alone. And I loved Parasite Rex, same thing. That was like parasite-based. And I've also read this book called Entangled Life, which was fungus-specific. That book, I'll be honest, like might have been my favorite out of all three because I just, I felt like I had so little even basic knowledge on what fungus is, how to classify fungus. So that was really cool. But now someone needs to write the book really combining all of that Mm-hmm. Like if these were all freshman year classes, I need the sophomore class that's like, aha, yeah. now we're going to talk about how all of these can interact and specifically in that evolutionary context. And he talks about bacterial evolution and how it can affect our evolution or mammalian evolution. And this is where I, I'll admit that I felt like I was getting a little lost because he's, he's trying to tell you cool stuff and then warning you not to get over pumped about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt a very much like a jerky car ride in some of those parts where bacteria can exchange genes like shaking hands, which when you read that, you think, okay, if bacteria can exchange genes shaking hands and I have all this bacteria, why can't I then get some of the genes from a bacteria that like is fluorescent, get some of those fluorescent genes into my bacteria that I currently am hosting and become fluorescent. And when I pass on my microbiome to my child, they then would get those fluorescent genes and I can have Mm -hmm. a glowing child and all of my lineage can glow. And he basically is like, no. (laughs) Yeah. It's the, the, the interplay between species and microbiomes is unfair because they're selecting specific species to glow in the dark and yeah, we just can't get that. Yeah. And he, I think what he was trying to explain is that the, the bacterial evolution can happen that quickly as in they trade a gene and all of a sudden all of their progeny could then have that gene that they just like bought from a neighbor. But then in order for, us to pass that on, it's actually not particularly different than a genetic quirk that we pass on that turns out to be helpful. I mean, first of all, you do have to get that fluorescent gene handed off into your, you know, bacterial colony, first of all, but then it has to work. Like it has to be fed. It has to, um, those bacteria have to procreate in you and survive and thrive and have their own little niche. And like, that fluorescent thing just isn't going to happen because of that. It might not have the right food. It won't actually um, do very well inside your gut. Slash, of course, if our guts were glowing, maybe that wouldn't help us that much anyway. But I, glowing poo would be fun. It would. But it, it, I, I think my takeaway from that section is just evolution has done such an incredible job of ensuring that we only have the exact traits that we need. Like in the instance of glowing animals, 
they need that for survival in some capacity. The example that's given in the book is an octopus that that glows underneath to mimic the appearance of moonlight from above so that predators from underneath don't attack it. And we have no such need, which is just annoying, but it is, it's crazy to think about that as we have evolved, as other animals have evolved alongside microbiomes, we got what we need and nothing more. I believe that was the Hawaiian, <laughs> it was the Hawaiian bobtail squid. And there's pictures mm-hmm. in this book, which is surprising. Um, and the Hawaiian bobtail squid is an adorable, adorable cephalopod. Highly recommend. Very cute. 10 out of 10. And, and, and Sarah thinks spiders are adorable. So as someone with a more normal approach to the situation, I can confirm they are, in fact, actually adorable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, getting back to like the, the larger picture of how the fungus is interacting with the bacteria and the bacteria interacting with viruses, when he's talking about species that are in trouble, Um, the amphibian wipeout that we're experiencing, the bat fungus, um, the cicada fungus that you mentioned also, by the way, uh, that the answer could be we need a certain type of bacteria to combat the fungus. And for certain bad bacteria, the answer may be we need a certain type of fungus or this virus that they're using for some of the um, mosquitoes infected with dengue fever and how to use sort of bacteria that has domesticated viruses. Again, I needed a whole nother book that could really walk me through some of the interactions of how bacteria, which are alive, fungus, which are alive, can interact with viruses, which are not alive. And then how funguses, which are not animal, they're not plant either, um, can interact with bacteria that are much actually more like us than fungus are. But that does remind me of my favorite joke. Can I tell you my favorite joke? I would love to hear it. A girl walks into a bar and uh, a mushroom walks up to her and is like, hey, baby, want to dance? And she's like, ew, no way. He goes, what? I'm a fun guy. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for coming. (laughs) Um, So where... Where did you want to go from here? Like you finished this book. Were you like, I want to go get a microscope. I want to go read another book. I want to go back to Evelyn Waugh. I would love to go get a microscope or go to the museum that he mentions. The the, the one museum dedicated to microbes and the microbes in the entire world, which was in the, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Is that right? I, yeah. That just sounds fascinating. Just being able, I mean, as you mentioned, there are pictures in the book, but it's not enough. I would love to actually be able to see all of this stuff on a really minute level. It is really cool. Yeah, I wanted more pictures or representations mm-hmm. of some of the bacteria that we were talking about. Instead, the pictures are mostly animals, right. um, including <laughs> the uh, the hydrothermal vent worms. And they are beautiful in their own way. The giant tube worms that are uh, at the bottom of the ocean. And this is another thing of like, the book could only be so long, but I almost wanted like a footnote and the footnote is a whole nother book. And it's just for me to better (laughs) understand why uh, these giant worms that basically thrive on sulfur 
They use bacteria to digest the sulfur and therefore they don't need mouths or anuses. And I was like, that therefore is doing a lot of work. We have bacteria that helps us digest food, but I still need a mouth and an anus. And there, there wasn't a whole lot of explanation. You could write an entire book on that. I, I, I think that is... Truly. I want a hydrothermal giant worm vent book. And our producer, Adam, is telling me that the, the museum is called Micropia and it is in Amsterdam. So I know where I'm going to push for the next dispatch retreat to take place. Amsterdam feels like the right place to have a microbe museum, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm now very excited. I feel like Nate, he's two right now. What do you think? Four is old enough to appreciate a microscope? How far away am I, do you think, from like, and of course the microscope will be for him in quotation marks, but I'll be the one right, right. using it and being like, oh, come look at the water and the stuff. So I'm very excited about that. And really, the this entire book could be turned into a children's book that I think would be awesome for kids. And again, I'd want one on viruses and fungus as well. Do you want to write that children's book for me? I, I would love to write that children's book. <laughs> um, what else? What were your other big takeaways from the book? Anything you highlighted, want to talk about? Just throughout, I was struck by just how awe-inspiring it all was. Uh, like space exploration seems to be the, the closest parallel. But even there, they're ex- exploring new frontiers, whereas this book really does an excellent job of transforming everyday mundane things that we interact with into something incredible. I also was, you know, this book was written in 2016. So it's been six years and there were a lot of unanswered questions. And I thought he did a very nice job of leaving you understanding like this is space exploration. This isn't the end. He's not writing the book on like, and we figured it out, stamp. Um, There's a lot that it leaves you with like, I don't know, we're still trying to figure that one out or they're exploring that one or they're hoping on that one. Actually, I didn't, I didn't even think to look it up because I just finished the book last night. But at the end, when they're talking about hospitals incorporating microbiomes, the, the architect says, oh, yeah, maybe we can do this in about five years. It's been longer than that. Where are the microbiome hospitals? Yeah. Yeah, he does make a joke about that. I mean, he's a science writer and he's like everyone, every scientist you ever talk to when you ask them when something will be operational says five years. <laughs> <laughs> it's never five years. Turns out science is much slower than that, much harder. Well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this book. I contain multitudes, the microbes within us and a grander view of life by Ed Yong. It, um, I don't know, it was, first of all, the cover's beautiful and it made me, it made me a much smarter person, much more thoughtful person. So do you, Alec. I, I, I think that's the best possible summation of it.